You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I'm starting to sweat. There was so much action. Welcome to Pint of Football, the nation's drunkest football podcast, where much like Chelsea FC, our handlers are desperate to be rid of us. Joining me as always are the global priors, Daz Napton and Andy Baxter. And I am your host, General Buck Edgerton. General who? Don't worry about it. (laughs) Well, I'm good, because that could have been a contender alongside some of our funny names we've come across while travelling through the history of football. We've come across some classic names, but I'm sorry to say that as I've been reading ahead, folks, as the stories start to get better, I'm afraid the names start to become a bit more boring. Wow. Yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, uh, disappointing. Yeah, are we in it for the good stories, the strange moments of football, the peak football, or are we in it for the willy folkses and the whatever other nonsense we've had over these last few episodes. In it for the willy. Well, <laughs> that, yeah. That, 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 is, that, is that the new strap line, is it? Pines of football, <laughs> in it for the willy. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. I'll, 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 update, I'll update the accounts. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> I was going to say there was a guy called Penry that I quite enjoyed. That was a nice Oh, name. yeah. Penry, yeah. Which was definitely just a spelling mistake on the birth certificate. Years before the invention of Tipex. Yeah, Penry. There isn't any Penrys out there, is there? <laughs> if anyone's called Penry, then, you know, get in touch. <laughs> At us. Of our millions of listeners, we must have a Penry, surely. I doubt it. So, shall we crack on with the history of football? You can tell the excitement is brewing. There was just about a nod. We're going to jump straight in. And having last time had the disappointment of the one-armed men versus women of 1917, 
we're hopeful that things are going to pick up and I'm not going to spoil it for you, but I think that not this next story, but the story after we could be approaching what I would call my first claim for maybe not peak football, but it's getting there. So if that's not enough to get you hooked. It's, well, it's a contender then, then, yeah, let's get on with it. I'm excited. Okay. So this next one, which sadly, in my opinion, is not a contender, but it's it's worth a mention because it's a classic post-World War One. what should we do with the spare kit scenario, if you get my meaning. And this one is called Soccer in Gas Masks. Oh. <laughs> of the gas. Yeah, it's it possibly where... Bristol Rovers got the idea of the nickname. There's probably there probably is a similar story to that, but as as Tom slurping his tea, I'm not going to give him a chance to elaborate if he knows. So let's just crack on. <laughs> so we had roller skate soccer in the last episode, as you remember, which was one of the sports women could do rather than playing normal football for some reason. But here we have the proper manly sport known as gas mask soccer, and the way it goes. The Royal Engineers have a rich soccer heritage, so it isn't surprising to discover their participation in gas mask soccer during and after the First World War. Do you dare to hazard a guess I mean, at this point what it is? Well, I, I want to take issue with Wardy there when he says it isn't surprising they took part in gas mask soccer. I, I'm surprised. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm a little surprised yeah, anyone did this. Yeah, exactly. Not unlike Wardy to miss the point entirely, though, is it? No. Well, I was going to say, is it like, uh, you know, those jogging masks that you see gym weirdos wear? Any of you seen them? Like, they're basically yeah. like a Bane mask. I don't know what they're for. Like, I don't think, like, making yourself purposely out of breath is why running is good for you. Yeah, maybe it's to simulate extreme circumstances. They also why you, why them, you like running down Gloucester Road? Yeah. Balaclava and tie your legs together, go for a run. <laughs> See how it ends. So, no, during the first seven years of the FA Cup, the Royal Engineers faced 32 Cup ties, winning the trophy once and reaching the FA Cup final on three other occasions. Bit of history there. They had a decent team. They appeared in the first ever FA Cup final and might have done better then a 1-0 defeat had fullback Lieutenant Cresswell not broken his collarbone after 10 minutes. Well, that's all. Gas, gas mask didn't help him there, did it? No, exactly. Well, this is, this is before the gas mask. Maybe this is where they got the idea from. Maybe it's got uh, some sort of... What's that gas you can breathe to numb pain? Um, cannabis. <laughs> yeah, that. Nitrous oxide. Yeah. Maybe they just filled it with gasoline, cannabis, and gasoless. And... I know they used to treat a lot of they used to treat a lot of illnesses with cocaine, didn't they, back in the day? So maybe it was that. Maybe this is why he ended up breaking his collarbone trying something daft. Maybe. Well, I suppose. Oh, Zoltro have... got the shits. Have this line. You'll <laughs> be right as rain. <laughs> a Royal Engineers team also won the FA Amateur Cup. And memories of this success were very clear when the war broke out. The gas mask games became a regular part of the training towards the end of the war. 
So I guess it's possibly at this point coming clear that it's a fitness regime, maybe. Uh, like you okay, were just so saying. It is a bit like the dweeb masks that you see yeah. in modern society. So when the whistle went for kickoff, each player had to take out his gas mask and fit it. So they didn't even fit it. Why wait for the whistle to blow? That's like the modern day equivalent of everyone coming out without the boots on. Ref blows the whistle. Everyone, everyone quickly gets on the floor and has to lace up. Just panics here. Apparently, the one rule was a player wasn't allowed to touch the ball until the mask was properly secured. So they took it seriously, obviously. I don't. I, I don't imagine that Wardy's elaborated on this for a minute. But like, was it wasn't one of the gas masks with like the kind of how do I put this trunks? You know, like with the sort of uh, pipe that comes off the nose, and there's like a sort of box on the end because you could just sort of whip your head round and clatter people with it. Yeah, that's that's how the volley was invented. It was originally with the trunk of the nose of the mask. <laughs> World War Two perfect hat trick involved scoring a goal with your gas mask trunk. Well, we, we might find out in a minute. I, w- I wonder if all this talk of trunks ties back to the elephants taking penalties. Oh god! Oh god! Drop it! Didn't by, by that, by that, do you mean it was fictional? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> oh. <laughs> During the game, the referee would stop the game by whistle and order gas masks to be removed. This time, the masks had to be properly put away before players were allowed to touch the ball. So it was intermittent for some reason. It'd be like 10 minutes with mask, 10 minutes without. Do you think Do you think the referee's wearing one? What, with a built-in whistle? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So here we go. Sorry, we've, we've doubted Wardy. We've doubted his lack of explanation. Here is why they did it. The aim, of course, he writes, of course, because we're idiots, was to familiarise the Royal Engineers with the dexterity needed to use gas masks. It was all about how quickly they could get them on and off in a complex situation, such as a football match. So ultimately, yeah, it sounds like it was just some sort of training exercise to get everyone to get used to putting the mask on and off. Officers hoped for no serious injuries and in the notion of soldiers sustaining injuries in soccer games rather than war combat, consider the case of Eddie Mason. Well, I often consider the case of Eddie Mason. I don't know about you, Tom. Who doesn't? I, not a second goes by where I do not consider Eddie Mason's sweet, sweet case. Well, that's the thing. I mean, when when you've been a member of the Dragoon Guards for seven years and fought at Marne and Azen and survived the bloodiest wars in history with hardly a scratch, it's hard not to think of his case, really, isn't it? Such Such a ripe and sumptuous case. But anyway, let's let's I know why I'm choosing to make this homoerotic. <laughs> Those of you who aren't aware of the Eddie Mason case, it's it's very yeah, famous. Pretend, but pretend we're not pretend we're not familiar for now, Dad. Pretend so he, we're idiots. <laughs> he, he fought all these wars. He was obviously a hard guy from the Dragoon Guards. And then in 1919, 
playing his first game for Hull after the war. He was carried off in the first few minutes and missed the whole season with an injury. So, just goes to show, football is tougher than war. Yes. Definitely the, definitely the takeaway from this. The moral of the story. It's definitely not peak football, I mean, that, is it? It isn't, but and, and I'm guessing that Wardy didn't bother to explain the injury. Could be anything. He just left it hanging there. Doesn't matter, does Could it? Be anything. <laughs> when you fought in, was it, when you was fought it, in the war, was it gas mask related? Who knows? We'll never find that out. We'll never find no, that that's out. True. That's true. Sadly, well, you probably could. I mean, if you know the case well enough, obviously we only knew the basics. <laughs> but if you were more of an Eddie Mason fanatic than us. I mean, we obviously love him here on the show. I wonder if he's still knocking there are about. Like, there are history books entirely dedicated to Eddie Mason. Mm. We should get him on the podcast. He must only be 125 by now. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. We'll do get an episode. Oh, 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 here he comes now. Hello, Eddie. <laughs> was, he, was he Welsh? <laughs> Woo, boy. <laughs> I'm so sorry, everybody. I- I'm so sorry. <laughs> so yeah, should we move swiftly on? Yeah, let's do it. We're going to move on, and this is this is a big story, and you can tell it's a big story because Wardy is dedicated not one, not two, but two and three quarters of a page to this one. Shit! <laughs> it's the big one. <laughs> not messing around. It's the big one. It is Wilfred Minter. And the goal scoring feat. Okay. <laughs> You've pipped my interest, Wardy. Uh, well, hang on. Whoa, 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 whoa. Are we feet F E A T or feet F E E T? I mean, it would have worked as either, but in this instance, sadly, it is F E A T. So. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. And. To add to the interest, we're hopefully going to get some of the hipsters involved because we're travelling over to 1922 Dulwich. Yeah. So you know it's going to be a cracker. Tune in, you hipsters. We'll even chuck in... Moustaches are plenty, and that's because it's the 1920s, not because it's Dulwich. And yeah, it's pretty much exact... Well, it will be in November, 100 years ago since Wilfred Minter's goal-scoring feat. So shall we find out what it was? Yes, please. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. 
Never has one man made such a strange goal-scoring impact on a game than Wilfred Minter did that dark Wednesday afternoon in Dulwich. Mm. It sounds good already, doesn't it? I can oh, yeah. feel... Such a tease, can... isn't he? Oh. <laughs> and that's where it ends. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Wardy. <laughs> the occasion was an FA Cup replay in the fourth round of the qualifying stage of the competition. In the original game, previous Saturday... St Albans City and Dulwich had drawn one all in controversial circumstances. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, we're going to get another particularly peculiar name here. There was a major debate as to whether Redvers Miller, as in hmm. Redver, Redver, R E D V E R S, Redvers, even. Um, I heard that one before I go on it, but okay. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to knock him. But Redvers Miller hit a corner kick that went into the goal without touching any other players, which back then, yes. of course, as we know, was very yeah. illegal. So I thought, I thought it was. Mm. Can you do it now, then? Yeah, yes, you can. So you remember me sending you endless Jake Gosling videos from yeah, Sporting yeah, Culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So not until 1924 were goals direct from corners permitted, but referee Rolf, no, I don't know if that's his first or surname, it's just referee Rolf, decided it had it had hit St Albans and then he'd given them a late equaliser. That's the half ass worthy we love, isn't it? <laughs> Rolf, was that, his first, was, was that his first name or last name? Don't worry, there was only one referee called Rolf at that time. <laughs> Leave it in. It's fine. <laughs> the readers will know. So, yeah. So, it ended one all controversially. Did it touch anyone or did it go straight in? Obviously, Rolf said it went in off someone. Wilfred if there's Minter, someone that knows about touch, whether things touched people, it's Rolf. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wilfred Minter had been St Albans' outstanding forward in the first game between the two teams of amateurs. He was a local lad, having attended the Hatfield Road School and received football tuition from Jay Dickinson, a former St Albans City captain. This is actually the most detail I've ever heard from this book about anything. I feel like it's going to get more detailed as we go on, to be fair to Audie. Because, you know, everything was shrouded in, like, mystery in the past, wasn't it? I guess. No one, no one, no one ever used their full first name. It was all, like, S. Jones and stuff. That's true. Yeah, because people would call things like Redvers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is true. So, Minter entered the army as when the war broke out. And while serving overseas, he developed his fitness and football talents. And after demobilisation, played for his school's old boys team, helping them to win the 1919 Aubrey Cup competition. Christ, this is like this is like his autobiography. We're actually, you know, learning a bit about Wilf. He joined St Albans City in February 1921 and soon became a goal-scoring phenomenon for club and country. Not bad for an amateur. I wonder if, like, England C invent- it was invented back then. 
I don't know. Because they only play about once every four years, don't they? Yeah. It, it was quite big at one point. I think it was the time that, well, maybe it was just because we were both in there when Rovers and Mech were both in the conference. They, they seemed to play quite a lot. Yeah, the last game they played was uh, 5th of June 2019 against Estonia under-23s. And you've got to ask, what is the point? <laughs> they lost 2-0. Christ. That is a long way for John Parkin to go. It really is. <laughs> Back to Wilf. Representative honours followed, but he turned down professional offers to enter his father's business and remain as an amateur with St Albans. He was to create a record which no professional has ever matched. Right, I'm going to take one guess from each of you. What was this record which no professional has ever matched? Oh, um, hmm. I wonder if the corner thing from the previous game is a clue. Did he score from two corners? No, because it was illegal. Did he... <laughs> Oh, Christ. That's a hmm. tough one. Tom, anything? When did you say this was? 1922. And when did corners become legal? 24. Mm, that's that yeah. theory out of the window. Is he the person that scored the most all-time career goals with his ass? Why not? Gas mask. <laughs> Okay, that's that's Tom's guess. I mean, we're going to find out, so I'm just going to go in. The game was played at Champion Hill, Dulwich, where both the home team and St Albans were forced to field deputy goalkeepers after injuries on the Saturday. No doubt this contributed to the afternoon's entertainment. Uh-huh. I'm sure okay. you know where this is going. Alf Fern, a halfback from St Albans Gasworks, was never likely. <laughs> well, he's a goalkeeper at the moment. He was never <laughs> likely to be a genius at handling corner kicks and crosses. Ooh, is this a hint towards what happened? Inside 15 minutes, Dulwich were a goal ahead. Then Wilf Minter took over. You can feel that he's unleashed his inner beast for this bit. And you taste the mint. <laughs> it's quite a good saying, actually. I definitely I hope, that, that, I I hope that was like a chant or something. Yeah, he was at the time doing adverts for polos. Can you taste the mint? And it's just a picture of him doing kickups with uh, polo mints. With polos, yeah. Sure does. That, that's what happened in my head anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but what actually happened was he scored from a crossbar rebound. Okay. Headed in a Pierce centre. And What's that? What's the Pierce centre? I think Pierce is the guy who centred it in this instance. Okay. Not the best phrase, is it? Polo mints again. The <laughs> I mean, centre. look, as we've, discu- as we've no, discussed when I'm trying to do better. tweets, like, writing about football is hard. Yeah. As it happens. And then the third goal that he scored, which sounds like it was assisted by a yacht, uh, the third goal came from a pass from H.S. Miller. (laughs) (laughs) Why would you call yourself H.S. Miller? 
Has he crossed it from the ship? Is that why the, no one's ever done it since? This right. is it. Cool. This is the goal scoring feat. The assist came from international waters. <laughs> After half an hour, the score was clear cut. Dulwich won, St Albans three, Minter got all three. So half an hour in, and he's bagged the hat trick. During the next half hour, Alf Fern's lack of goalkeeping experience was exposed. Dulwich scored four times. After 60 minutes, therefore, the score conveyed a different message. Dulwich five, St Albans three. So they've come from 3-1 down to be leading 5-3. Sounds like an absolute classic so far, doesn't it? Yeah, thriller. Like... I feel if you're the backup goalkeeper, you should at least be a bit experienced about goalkeeping. Well, it said deputy goalkeeper. I think it was actually the halfback who went in. Ah, okay. I don't think there was such a thing as subkeepers back then. So this is like when Mark McChrystal went in goal for overs. Yeah, exactly. Mark McChrystal did really well. Well, yeah, this guy did. Shiny golden man god. But don't forget, the other team also had a deputy goalkeeper and... Harold Fig had a shot that hit the goalpost. Minter followed up to pull back a goal. Then he shot two more goals to give St Albans the lead. And if you're not keeping up with this, that now means Minter has got a double hat trick. Oh, blimey. Okay. So if it wasn't clear, it probably is now about what this goal scoring feat is. What is the most goals you've seen one player score in a match? Mine's four. Probably only yeah, three. I think, I think I've seen a four. Ellis oh, Harrison against Northampton. To be fair, don't forget, I used to go and watch Stone Dominoes lose 10-0 every week. So I probably, <laughs> I've probably seen five and four and three plenty yeah. of times, but just not realised that it was them scoring um, so anyway we're 70 minutes in and the score is now Dulwich 5 St Albans 6 in these earlier days of soccer people would dispute what a real hat trick was mm. mm-hmm. oh. so to confirm with, and boring <laughs> people which is yeah which is exactly what I was going to go on to say because people that like <laughs> people that if born in this day and age would be really into XG yeah. Gotcha. Virgins. <laughs> so apparently back in the day they used the cricketing model, which was three wickets in three consecutive balls to be considered a hat trick, which in football meant you needed to score three goals in a row rather than three in a game. <sighs> that's really that's funny odd. you should say that, Dad. I think that still applies in Germany. I think that's what a perfect hat trick is in Germany. Really? You've got to score them in, yeah, because someone else, I can't remember what it was. It might have been about that New Zealand player that scored a perfect hat trick of own goals and it come up with <laughs> perfect hat trick. Perfect hat trick isn't called, isn't that in all countries. And um, uh. yeah, I mean, I, I, think it's a, I think it's a bit harsh if you score two and then somebody else scores and then you get your third and people are taking your claim of a hat trick away. I think that's a bit unfair. Yeah. Well, Thankfully, zero well, tolerance. Nine. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, here in simple Dulwich times, there was no dispute because Minter had not scored one, 
but two hat-tricks, six goals in a row. And as if that wasn't impressive enough, his first hat-trick in the first half came within 12 minutes and his second hat-trick in the second half came within 10 minutes. So that's technically six goals he scored in 22 minutes. My word. Six goals in 22 minutes. As Wardy says it best himself, astonishing. Yeah, that's made Wardy's year. It definitely has. Well, it's definitely made 1922's year. But there was more to come, apparently. Five minutes from the end, Dulwich put the ball in the St Albans net, which meant it was six all. The referee reversed his original decision after originally ruling it out, gave the goal, and it was much to the dismay of the St Albans players. It meant that the scores were level after 90 minutes and therefore we would have extra time. And as we've learned from stories of the yesteryear before, what usually happens in the darker months of the year when things go to extra time? Violence? We start to lose light. (laughs) So, after 100 minutes... Kale sprinted from the halfway line and gave Dulwich a 7-6 lead. In the gathering gloom at the other end, Minter was tackled clumsily in the penalty area. Appeals for a penalty were turned down. The referee argued it was too dark to give a clear decision. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) That is the ultimate. on playing though, you know? Yeah, that is the ultimate cop-out. This is this is the old times. Of course they did. It just sounds like a great... I would have loved to have been there. I mean, you'd be a bit disappointed not being able to see the back end of the game, but ultimately... Just hear, just hear people like running headlong into each other. Just hearing Minter get absolutely splatted in the box. So, with just four minutes to go, Redvers Miller took a corner kick for St Albans City. Redvers. And do we all remember what, what happened in that first game. This time, there was no doubt that someone touched the ball before it hit the net. Wilfred Minter. Donkey. (laughs) He's done it again. Imagine the mood. Seven goals each. And he scored all seven goals. Amazing. What a guy. I'm, I'm starting to sweat. There was so much action. No wonder this took two and three quarter pages of the book. But it's not over because we're still we're still not through the 120 minutes yet. The linesman flags and awards a dubious free kick for Dulwich. Now remember, it's seven all. Dulwich are at home. No one can see what's going on. Mint has already scored seven for the opponents. He can't give anything else. Is it going to end in heartbreak? It does. Overcomes the cross. Davis heads it in. And the game ends. Dulwich, eight. St. Albans City, seven. Minter, with seven goals, ah, is not on the winning team. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, that's so un- unfortunate. For an individual, as, as Wardy says here, for an individual to score seven goals is not all that uncommon, but to score all seven goals, including two hat-tricks, and be on the losing team, now that, my friends, qualifies as one of football's strangest stories, I think. 
Minter retired shortly after this game. What do we think about that? Pretty good. Yeah, liked it. A lot of goals. Rubbish goalkeepers. It, it went dark. Yeah, lots of life. The moment of every goal going in, I was like, oh my God, what the hell's this goal scoring yeah. feat going to be? Is I Minter- found a picture... I found a picture of Wilfred Minter and he does look like a man who's just scored seven goals and ended up on the losing side. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I wonder how many he got that, that season, if he got seven in one game. Probably seven. Yeah. He couldn't deal with the trauma and just gave it up. Let me see him. What's with that colour? Oh, oh my, yeah, he does look a bit depressed. So um, I've just found his gravestone. <laughs> oh, dear. He doesn't seem to have a Wikipedia, but he's got a gravestone which says uh, Wilfred Harry Minter, Billy Minter, uh, 11th February 1898, 29th December 1984, St. Albans City Football Club, record goal scorer, 362 games, 356 goals. Whoa! Christ! Yeah. Good innings. Why have you heard of this guy? Well, fear fear not, because in a few stories' time, he's actually mentioned again. He's the first recurring character of this book. What? Yes. So I'm kind of hoping. I haven't read any further than a couple of stories ahead by this point, but I really hope that he carries on making an appearance with his ludicrously unfortunate displays of scoring seven and losing. The increasingly unfortunate adventures of Walter Minter or Wilfred, whatever <laughs> Wilfred. his name. Wilfie Mint. What yeah, a guy. Wilfie Mint. What, what an absolute. Minty Wilf. <laughs> Minty Wilf. What a guy. Milf. So I don't think. <laughs> Milf. I don't think... <laughs> it's, it's where the uh, expression Milf was actually invented. Yeah. <laughs> Sadly for Look teenage. It Look it up, kids. Yeah. Ask your mum. Sadly for teenagers of the year, yesteryear, it was not the same meaning as what it means now. And people who are walking around <laughs> saying mil- MILF now are sadly mistaken. Although uh, Minter did star in a few amateur pornographic films. A few MILFies. Yeah, Citation it's just, it's just needed. a tribute to that game. Oh, what a guy. <laughs> um, we're not going to have time for the next story, which is a shame, because it is called Experimenting with the Rules. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that sounds great. I think we're no, really... we need to give that we need to give that one some time, don't we? That makes sense. Yeah, I think we're really hitting the stride of the book now. I think Tom's hit the nail on the head. It almost seems as though there's actual content to base some of these things on now. I go for yeah. that, <laughs> rather than just having guesstimates about whether elephants played or whether a man a, a team played on stilts or where the men wore gas masks to have a kick about in. It's proper stuff now. It's facts. No, I was going to say, I'm kind of glad there wasn't pictures of the game where everyone got ill because they ate place <laughs> and were like erupting at both ends. I'm glad there's not video footage of that. Oh, imagine if that happened now. <laughs> oh, uh, it'd be on TikTok and stuff, wouldn't it, instantly? Yeah. Well, tune, tune into match We saw Michael Owen showing himself. So we haven't got any uh, other stories to share. I know Tom's got a joke, but did you also have something else that you wanted to say? You look like you're in a mischievous... I, I don't have a joke. Baxter had a joke. 
right, go on then, Baxter. I believe you've got one All of right. your fabulous jokes to, to finish us off with. Uh, I have it a good one today as well. I quit my job as a postman after I was handed my very first letter. I looked at it and thought, this isn't for me. <laughs> Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.